All righty, all righty. So before we kind of get into the, I would say like the weight of this conversation, um, before we activate the space, if you could give the people like an elevator's pitch to who I think call yourself Master Yodi. I don't know how I feel personally as a black man calling another black man master personally, but if you could give us like an elevator's pitch to who uh, Odie is, the screen is yours, King. All right, boom. So my name is Odie Lakachi William Ezekiah Onkwe, right? Better known as Mr. Odie, Master Odie. Whatever name comes to mind is the name that you're supposed to use, right? It's the name we're supposed to vibe on. So I am an Afrocentric mental health practitioner. I am also an Afrocentric master life coach. The reason why I'm a master life coach is because I have a master's in community psychology with a focus in Afrocentric theory plus 10,000 hours of one-on-one -on -one client interaction. That is what I do. I'm also a content creator. I was at 101,000 followers on TikTok before I got banned. So now I'm building my new TikTok platform, which is at master.ody or odjoyco 2 T-O-O. Um, I also create courses. My first course is called the group sessions. So the group sessions is designed for people who have issues exploring emotional intelligence. So if you want to become more emotionally intelligent, I do have a course that's designed specifically for that. And it is a living and learning community. So essentially the course is going to continue to grow. Um, at first I had it as a one, as a one-time payment of $200, but I'm going to turn it into a subscription based service for $4.50 a month. And that's going to be coming out within the next couple of days. So look out for that. And the second course I have is what's called Mindful Finance. And Mindful Finance is the intersection between financial literacy and financial psychology. And financial psychology is exactly what it sounds like. It's looking at why it is we spend money on, what it is that we spend money on. So this course is designed for the people who are looking to become more financially literate, but don't necessarily want to go through all of the numbers and all of the like fancy stuff that regular personal finance offers. My course offers the why you spend your money on what you spend money on. You know what you spend money on. You do it all the time. You see it in your statements. You see it on your credit card bills. We're talking about why you spend that money, right? You spend money because you're sad. You spend money because you're uncomfortable. You spend money because you celebrate. We look at those particular behavioral patterns and we try to install behavioral patterns that are more conducive to financial wealth and financial maintenance over a long period of time. Um. My next super intense, this will kind of let me know how much cooler you are than me, you know what I'm saying? Um, <laughs> if you had to pick a starter six Pokemon set, you know what I'm saying, to go against the Elite Four, what six are we rocking with, dog? He's hesitating. What's Elite Four? Hmm, see, the real ones ask that question. Um. If we had to go, you know what? We'll make this one tailor fitted to a classic. We'll go with Johto. We'll go with Johto League. That's generation what two? I believe what? so. Yes. Generation two. That's the one with uh that's the one with the 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 bug the bug the bug uh elite four. His name is Kai something. Okay, I, I got you. So. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Say less. Say less. My starter would definitely be Typhlosion, but that Typhlosion would have to know Earthquake. That's one, two. I would have a Johto. Hmm. Johto, I don't think Johto has Yan Mega yet. I don't think they have Yan Mega yet, right? So if they don't have Yan Mega, I would have to go with a um what is it called? Zatu. Like Zatu, the um the totem Pokemon, right? 
Zatu, right? That Zatu has to know. That Zatu has to know. Cybeam, and it has to know. It has to know. Uh, a t- it has to know a uh, pretty much like a light screen or something like that, so it can up his special defense. So yes, Typhlosion, Zatu. Hmm. <clears throat> I will go with either Hitmonchan. No, not a Hitmonchan. Mm-mm. Is um, what is the name of that Pokemon? Uh, mm, it's the sumo Pokemon. I'm trying to remember which one it is. It's uh, Hariyama. Is Hariyama Johto? I believe that's not Sinnoh. What's the one? Okay, there's Indigo's the first, Johto mm-hmm. second, third is I can't remember what the third one is. I know Sinnoh is the fourth generation, yes. Too many yeah. generations. But it's, it's okay. It's okay. It's okay. So we, 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 I'm just going to go with original 150 then, just to make it easier, right? So Hitmonchan, Hitmonchan, we're going to do Hitmonchan, but the Hitmonchan has to know all of the elemental punches, right? All the elemental punches, including Mega Punch. And I need Mega Punch just to like pull out a stop. Just. Okay, so we still good, right? So we got Zatu, we got Typhlosion, we got Hitmonchan. I need a I need a Pokemon that I need a Pokemon that is specifically oh 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 um Tyranitar. Gotta have a Tyranitar on that bitch. And my Tyranitar needs to know my Tyranitar also needs to know Earthquake, but I also want my Tyranitar to know uh to know strength. To know strength, and if it can, I want to attach an iron coat to it, right? Because then that motherfucker will be a tank. It'll be over with, right? So that'll be a Pokemon that could just eat shit. Mom, 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 mom. Um, let's see what else. Ooh, ooh. Mm. What is the name of that Pokemon? Not a bomber snow. There's another. There's another ice type Pokemon. Mm. What is it? Hmm. Would I go with Obama Snow? No. Ah, I guess I'll take it Obama Snow. And Obama Snow got this. It's basically like a Tyranitar, but ice. So that's what, five? And then, of course, the last joint got to be a Salivance, bro. You got you to gotta have a nice ass. You got to have a nice ass dragon on the team. Drag, a Salamence that knows. A Salamence that knows uh, Dragon Fang, one, two. Um... Swords dance because that attack is gonna be nasty, and uh, dragon breath for the paralysis and the crit in the crit hit, and then finally just some off the wall shit that's gonna take care of that. That's gonna take care of that special attack. Yeah, so that's gonna be my team. See, I appreciate- oh wait, back up, back up, back up, back up, back up. Switch up, switch out that uh, if I can, if I can, if I can. Okay, all right. Switch out that Obama right. snow for for alligator. Because the Feraligator will give me that ice and that water that I'm looking for. Because I recognize that I had an imbalance. I'm like, I don't have a water Pokemon. All right, now we're good. All right, all right. You know, Feraligator, um, I think it's the one Pokemon whose name is so long that they actually had to remove a letter just to fit it within the name bracket. A lot of people don't know that. You know what I'm saying? That's funny. That's some funny, funny stuff. People were texting me. It was like, 
um he went a little too hey man they, they <laughs> people appreciate your your um your need um for excellence with elemental punches with your hitmonchan you know what i'm saying um yes absolutely we we care about stuff like this and i didn't even know this dog knew anything about pokemon that deep but i asked everybody this question yes he indeed passed the vibe test you know what i'm saying he's doing pretty pretty good you know what i'm saying i would have i don't a lot of people like to cheat when they ask this question i don't really know if this would have been a cheat necessarily i would have had to get my hands on an Entei dog i don't know what it was you're tripping bro not not that that that's definitely a cheat is and it though yes here's the reason why here's all the right why. notice how notice how i did not say any legendaries or pseudo legendaries bro if we're doing a, if we're doing a clean run a clean doing, run if we're doing a clean run right if we're doing a clean pokemon run bro you gotta go you have to go with any pokemon that are not legendaries because legendary pokemon come op that's like you trying that's like you trying to race a honda civic that's like you're trying to race a honda civic sti against a 1996 chevy impala super sport like that super sport come off the best that shit come out the factory ready to go like it come out ready to fucking go like it's a legendary car the sti comes in multiple iterations over time you're not gonna find no more of them 96 impalas bro you're not that bitch come off the line ready to go it's just the Entei dog. I just need Entei to talk to me the whole time, bro. I need he give me that he give me that um what is it? I feel like he's that male fig he's that male figure I've been looking for all my life. You know what I'm saying? He gave you that Mufasa feeling. And I yes. that's the reason why Entei is my favorite legendary dog. Like he's my favorite. The reason being is because Bull give you that very like I'm finna be you finna be cool. When you with me, like we good in every hood. When you with me, he right? gave I'm off there. heavy Piccolo energy. You know what I'm saying? Like it was just absolutely, I get that. I get absolutely, that. absolutely. So, my brother, um, very. He said somebody texted me again. They said elemental punch. Yeah, it's okay. If you not, if you don't know, you know. You know what I'm saying? Um, but uh, so one of the, one of the main reasons i wanted to have you on here as i've you know started this journey as far as like just having conversations with people i don't like to call these things interviews necessarily i feel like interviews are a little too impersonal impersonable you know what i'm saying so like my idea or like my mission at the end of the day is to humanize the content creator you know what i'm saying um a lot of people um you know they see the followers they see the content they see the hot takes in these one minute to three minute clips. Um, but you never necessarily get to know and I would say like digest somebody's story. So, you know, I obviously, you know, I've, I've been brutally honest on here. I've shared a couple of tears and by a couple, I mean a lot. I don't really, you know what I'm saying? Black men need to cry, you know what I'm saying? Um, but I think that this will be dope and kind of gives people a deeper dive into who you already are you know what i'm saying yes with the somebody text me again with the elemental punches yes let that be normalized let that be normalized you know what i'm saying the elemental punches you know what i'm saying earth wind and fire all that in a punch yes people yes. mad about the elemental punches no they i think i think what it is though this i have i have partners from like high school that are like texting me they like i know you gave this manuscript it's like no when you know no, you know bro. okay you validate know, my nerve for a second you know what i'm saying yes it's the tactical advantage absolutely absolutely um but if i before we get into the deep dives and conversation um you know if you can go back as far as you can remember brother um tell us the early stages and development of a young Odie king um the screen is yours mm, that's very interesting 
So I think recognizing that there was a difference between who I was as a black man and who I was as an African man was a foundational understanding of who it is that I was as a person, right? So peak game. When I was a young boy, I remember the day that I found a binder with my name on it, but because I had always been called William, I didn't recognize that I had another name. So I saw the binder in my father's closet and it said Adi Blakachi on it. And I thought it was one of my cousins. So I brought it to my mother. I said, Ma, who's this? She said, that's you. I said, no, it's not. My name is William. This doesn't say William. She says, no, that's your first name. Your first name is Adi Blakachi, right? So recognizing that this was another part of my identity or another layer to myself was relatively interesting. The very next immediate thing was the relationship between myself and my father and how that relationship developed and how it became a central part of my development moving forward past that point. So my father and I's relationship when I was younger was relatively contentious. And the reason why I was contentious is because my father had his own set of things that he needed to understand for himself that at that point in time in his life, I don't think he understood or I don't think he understood how it impacted him. Um, <clears throat> let's see. Now, when you say young or as far back as I can remember, how far are we looking? I mean, like, bro, whatever you feel comfortable with at the end of the day, um, my goal is, you know, allow you the space to share your story whatever you are comfortable with at the same time you know if i feel compelled to ask hey bro if you need us to switch the subject up i'm also here to protect my guests at the end of the day so bro you can come you can you can talk about the days of a snot nose you know what i'm saying you give off you give off heavy like six four energy um you talk about dripping dripping out of the fetus you can go that far if you need to i don't know bro um if we talk about just consciousness wherever that is for you, wherever you fall back for that. Um, but whatever you're comfortable with, dog, that's on you, man. I got you. I got you. I got you. So, hmm. The development of Odie. I think that what's go. I think that what happened with me was that I was an individual who had to recognize how it is that I presented myself amongst my peers based upon this perception that my worth was always in question or my worth was always being evaluated, right? This comes from being the child of an immigrant parent or being the child of, the, of a parent of the diaspora where the value systems are different, the expectations are different. Even the way that it is that they deal with emotional things or emotional back and forth are different, right? If I remember correctly, when we shared a space a couple months ago, I think you said your father is Nigerian. Yes, if yes, I'm not mistaken. Yes, Nigerian. Sir. Yes, yes, yes. Continue. I was just um, yes, curious to see if my memory. Um, I'm I'm coming down from a grade two concussion, so I wanted to see <laughs> if I still remember a couple of things. Gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So my father is definitely Nigerian, right? And my mother is black. She's from the city of Chicago, and it's. <clears throat> Growing up in that space and recognizing how those two lifestyles or how those two cultures juxtapose within me, being a black man and understanding how those things shaped and molded me, uh, 
<laughs> I, I hear you mention this a couple of times, and I've always been curious to have somebody break this down for me. You say knowing that you are a black man, but also knowing and acknowledging that you are an African man. Um, can you speak to your experience, the dichotomy of those experiences while existing um, in America, um, fortunately and unfortunately at the same time? Most definitely. So, of course, when I say African, I mean continental African. And when I say black, I mean uh, American descendants of slaves, right? So, <clears throat> the nuances between those two things are more are more so the intensities of the cultures in practice than anything else. And what I mean by that is black people swear up and down or some black people swear up and down that there's no connection between black people and Africans. And I'm like, you don't even gotta look that hard to see the relationship between black people and Africans. Like you don't have to look that hard. You do not have to look that hard, you know, right? That's one, but also two, recognizing that <clears throat> being in the space of the United States or being in the space of, you know, white people or being in the context of whiteness or being contextualized through the lens of whiteness, it creates a schism between what is valuable in blackness and what is not. That is both the fortunate and unfortunate part about being or existing in the culture of both a continental African and an ADOS black person. It's recognizing the entire spectrum of devaluation of blackness across the board. It's like, yo, y'all don't even see how deep this goes and how much of a common, I guess you could say a common thread or a common foundation these things have, right? The fortunate, the fortunate part about existing at that cultural intersection is that I never had to question where my culture was. I never had to question where that came from. Like, brother, my, my sister just did an ancestry test and me and my sister shared the same parents, we all that, right? 72% Nigerian, 18% Congolese or Central African, right? So, in like 6%, <coughs> in like 6% other Africans. Brother, I'm 96% African. 96% genetically, right? I'm only 4% unseasoned. It's a great time to be alive, right? So when we sit and think about this whole idea of what cultural identity is, right? This idea of how it is we come to understand what blackness is or how we as an, how we as an individual resonate with particular signifiers or symboli or sim symbols of blackness <coughs> excuse me all good so brother. i think you, i think you might have hit that blizzy a little too hard hit that water real quick you know what we try to yeah. we try to <laughs> we try to preserve yeah. black life we ain't trying to put it hey, in hey, hey listen 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 it's a multitude of things going on not only that but it's also allergy season brother the weather has broken and it's like i keep my window open so the, it's like yeah i'm right behind like I'm right behind the backyard, so it's like that crosswind with that pollen. Geez, it's a wild jump. But I'm happy. I'm happy. I don't got to deal with allergies. I have enough issues. I, 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 one of the things I was, I was telling my girlfriend the other day is awful. I was saying like I already have bipolar disorder. Don't give me allergies. 
I'm good. I, if I had to pick, I don't. <laughs> I say, fuck that. I, I don't I, need I, them I, both, dog. I already exist on this emotional spectrum. I don't need a stuffy nose too. Yes, right? like, that's a little. That's a little much. Do you know that a molecule of of pollen literally, um, it is in the same symmetrical shape as the Death Star from Star Wars? That's a hilarious. It's a hilarious Let that sink in. Let that that's a hilariously in. nerdy fact, right? But yeah, man. I mean, fortunately, I never had to question where it is that my culture was from. I just knew, like, oh, I don't have a connection to Africa, bro. My dad sounded like he just came off a boat. We're we're not the same. Oh, like I I do this that like brother. I've been eating goats and live chicken. Well, not live chickens, but killing chickens and all that stuff since I was a young boy. Like none of this is new to me. None of this, right? So, but also, once again, unfortunately, seeing how it is that Black people perceived Africans, right? It's just this very odd relationship that comes from contextualization of Blackness through a white lens. It's the same thing with Africans, right? When you get around particular Africans, they have this contextualization or this perception of Black people, and I'm just like, where did y'all get this from? Even though I know exactly where they got it from, it's still this idea of cultural superiority. And it's like, no, y'all are pulling this from the text or you're pulling this from examples that are rooted or that originate in the onus of whiteness. And you're not utilizing your own cultural implications or your own cultural symbolisms to identify the relationships between the two. Yes, the diaspora wars are extremely exhausting. But yeah. I think um one thing I always find interesting, um, I have a I have a brother that's um Ghanaian, and one of the things that we were discussing if we're talking about this also like this weird like I would see like this weird tension between like African Americans, you know, ADOS and um Africans is like I would say like at least just from what i've learned from his, speaking from his experience he says like you know africans will see african americans and be like well i don't know why y'all can't get it together you know what i'm saying um look at us over here we're doing just fine some of them you know there are obviously parts of africa that have been colonized and that have been impacted by colonialism and then obviously america is america I'm saying um, with three Ks, and they always speak on it as this like weird, contentious. Um, as you said, it's warped by whiteness, which in itself is anti-black. It's always interesting um, to hear how we could po- we can point at each other and like you know, there's a splinter in your eye, a two by four in your eye, a little bit of dust and something on your pantaloons. But I feel like even. I would say combating one another with these differences is just causing more division. Um, can you speak to that at all by chance? <clears throat> yeah, man. I mean, to be quite honest, to be completely and totally honest. As if you weren't being honest before, my brother. <laughs> I was having a conversation with somebody yesterday or this morning, and I was saying, yo, if Black people were to take 30% of the collective spending power that we have and install it into basically 
upgrading the infrastructure of Nigeria, which is a country that in Africa that one is mostly black, but also two has just taken over South Africa as the highest GDP in the country. The last time I checked, it may have changed, right? But still, Nigeria is up there. If we insist or if we begin investing in ourselves in the way that we say that we believe that we should, then we will have foundational change. If we can create hubs for excellence or we can create hubs for propulsion, we can create these things, right? It's not as if though it's impossible. What tends to occur is that we perceive blackness universally to be, <laughs> unfortunately, we perceive it to be unworthy. We perceive it to be something that we should not invest in, right? Mm. Perceive, or or that's how we used to perceive it, right? We don't see ourselves as valuable. We don't see ourselves as something that should be invested in, unfortunately, right? And the reality of the situation is that, yes, there are political instabilities in these countries. Yes, there are, you know, things that make it difficult to really truly and honestly stabilize parts of the economy yes these things are understood they don't they don't always have to be explained and at the same time we as black people do have a ways to go as it relates to unlearning some of the things that we perceive about ourselves in order to begin understanding how it is that we as black people and when i say black i mean across the diaspora separate ourselves through this harsh self-criticism that exists in the energy that does not belong to us oh 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 you ain't going you can't just you can't drop a little you can't drop a little bomb in there at the end and then not break down what you mean you said in an energy that does not belong to us break that down for me dog so in afrocentric in afrocentric philosophies and ideologies the way that the way that the transatlantic slave trade and its after effects are characterized is characterized as the ma'afa. And the ma'afa essentially means, you know what I'm saying, the great disaster or the, you know, the great tragedy. And it's something that we identify in levels. And one of those levels is psychic, right? It's something that exists in a plane that's intangible, but still has very real effects. <clears throat> So when we're talking about the psychic plane and when we're talking about this level of existence where things are energetic, things are vibrational, things are thought-based, things are, you know, concept-based, right? What I mean when I say an energy that does not belong to us, a lot of Black people look at each other through the lens of whiteness and measure ourselves by the barometer of the culture of whiteness that has been specifically designed to oppress and divide black people. And when we utilize this space or when we continue to attempt to develop ourselves in this space, this space will never be positive. It will never be positive because it's not culturally congruent to what it is that we need as people in order to grow. What I mean is, what is etched at the epicenter of cultural whiteness is an antithetical and an anti, what is it called? Mm. Yeah, antithetical. It's an antithetical stance to cultural blackness. 
That's what it is. And when I say etched, I quite literally mean etched. You can go back to the center of whiteness anthropologically and find etchings of anti-blackness in its libraries. This is not an opinion. This is cultural fact. So how can you continue to want to grow yourself in a development space that is not designed for your positivity or your progress? It is incongruent. It's that, it's that, um, I don't know how to describe it. It's that, Stockholm it's that something is tailor fitted for it to make you in some ways look excellent, but your tailor fitted suit is actually a straight jacket. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. Literally, you know, not to be stigmatizing because I myself, you know, being bipolar, don't like the word crazy, but you're driving yourself insane trying to look the best in something that is more for your harm and not for your benefit. I definitely get what you're trying to say, dog. Yes, sir. Absolutely, absolutely. I'm, I'm tracking, I'm tracking, I'm picking up what you're putting down, dog. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, Have you found this, and I know that just from listening to, that's why I always ask these questions at the beginning, Um, and it kind of gives me an idea as far as direction that I like to engage people when we talk about this part of just talk, communication. Um, have you found it difficult when we're speaking on whiteness's influence in these spaces that we don't own, unfortunately, have you found it difficult to embrace yourself in your blackness in these spaces while being, I don't know how to describe it, different to some degree? when I say different, I mean like you are not in the conventional box of what blackness is to be a man in the society. Um, can you speak to that experience at all in your development? <laughs> yeah. Uh, as a young boy, I was never taught to place value on the box. When I say whiteness is a non-factor in my life, whiteness as as intense as it is, because of the way that I've been raised, it exists as a non-factor. And when I say a non-factor, I don't necessarily mean that it doesn't impact my life or it's not something that exists within my day-to-day -day operations. It's simply not something that I centralize in my self-analysis and my self-evaluation. Do I understand that it exists in my environment and I have to account for it? 100%. But do I sit here and I worry about how white people are going to perceive me? Absolutely not. Actually, to be quite honest with you, what I centralize in my self-evaluation is how much I can disrupt the perception of whiteness as it exists in reality. So when white people see me quite immediately, they, they experience a cognitive distortion. That is my ultimate goal. I want to be an agent of chaos in the reality of whiteness. So that's how I pretty much am going to answer your question. I guess like when I'm when I'm asking that question, I'm more so like, have you felt it to be difficult trying to take the stance um, in the midst of our own people? Like, you know, what I'm saying being um, I don't even say nerdy because it seems like so off putting, but to be non-conventional in the sea of our own people, like, you know, you like the certain things that other people don't like. Like you talk about elemental punches, dog from Pokemon, you know what I'm saying? You considering all these different takes and tactics um and probably enjoy similar to the same things i probably enjoyed growing up probably i mean i don't know if you were at the level i was doing naruto runs um like i said i i, I gave up being cool a long time ago you know what i'm saying um but have you found it difficult to i would say 
growing up, and I mean, I can't speak only, I don't even want to assume, you know what I'm saying? I'm not trying to make an ass out of myself, but have you ever dealt with that sense of turbulence of finding your blackness because other people, I guess, compared it to theirs? Um, did you ever struggle with that growing up? No, what I use, I always knew that my blackness, I always knew that my blackness was black like i never had i never had an identity crisis within blackness what usually happened was that i did not understand how my how my type of blackness or how my uh or how my experience of blackness matched that of my peers growing up like for example i wasn't allowed to be outside past the street lights coming on like i wasn't allowed to watch tv during the week like I was the person that read books all the time. Like I played Pokemon, I played Yu-Gi-Oh. Like you dig what I'm saying? Like I, I watched Full Metal Alchemist. I did all of these different things. And when you sit and think about it, it's like, how does I know that I'm black? Because I be with other black people. I utilize African American vernacular. Like I have enough. I have enough of these cultural qualifiers or cultural identifiers or cultural symbolic cultural symbolic communicators for me to self-identify as black right i never had that type of i never had that type of uh identity crisis what usually happened was that my experience within my blackness did not fit that of my peers which then caused me to have social friction so the intensity was not that deep that it made me question my blackness it made me question god damn it, it do i know it's a different type of nigga why i gotta be with this type of nigga <laughs> i feel you dog i feel that definitely get that um so i guess like the one thing that i'm curious about is what made you want to become this version of yourself you know what i'm saying like when i say this version of yourself it's obviously you but did somebody instill that in you? You said that you grew up around people, so you knew, like, you knew you was that nigga, you know what I'm saying? You just knew who you was off rip. Who were the people that helped, I would say, nurture that about yourself? Who were the people that helped you, you know, that taught you self-love at such an early, early age in your development that you didn't really struggle with that? So let me be very clear. I never said I did not struggle with sense of self. I said I did not struggle with sense of identity, right? Of cultural identity. There's gotcha. a difference between the two, right? I always knew who I was culturally, right? I never had to worry about whether or not I was black, African, like I, that was never a question. How it is that I applied those things to my environment and my exercise of blackness? Yes, that caused a that caused a a, a insecure sense of self that was difficult to resolve over time and the reason being was because my sense of self was not constructed well because i did not have once again that social feedback because of my interests not lining up with my peers you dig what i'm saying so who helped me to modify that or who helped me to you know i guess grow into myself were you know well first and foremost it was my mom of course because you know black men and their mamas that's one but also too the other black women who recognized that how it is that i was moving and how it is that i was learning was impacting my ability to navigate not only cognitive cognitive intelligent places but emotionally intelligent places as well because brother like 
it got to a point where I was extremely intelligent, but I was hell in the cell, my boy. Like, I, <laughs> I didn't give a fuck about what nobody was talking about. I'm talking about, you can tell me till my face get out of my class and I'm be like, fuck you. I'm trying to talk to my peers. You dig what I'm saying? So it comes to a point or it came to a point where it was just like, that's who helped mold me. It was the people who recognized that the way that it is that I was behaving or the way that it is that I was struggling was a representation of me attempting to find parts of myself or pieces of myself and then how to apply those pieces to my environment as a whole and not me just acting out just to act out. Does that make sense? Now I get what you mean. Um, so one thing that I am curious about, um, you know, cause I, like I said, I, I got put on to you last year after sharing a space with you. I'm curious into what made you want to get into this field. Uh, when we talk about therapy, when we talk about, um, I think you said, fight, just make sure I know the many hats and you know what I'm saying? I don't want to cheat you on many hats that you got black man. Um, I think you said financial literacy and Afrocentric I'm trying to remember what the, um, what that exactly that was that you were talking about. Afrocentric um, studies of financial lit. I, I don't know. Talk, talk your talk again, real quick. Um, just to, so we I don't shortchange it. You know what I'm saying? All right, so we're gonna break it down because I know I have a number of titles, but it just they're, they're they're all just specifiers. So Afrocentric concentration basically means that the way that it is that I evaluate I evaluate social socio cultural anthropological or psychosocial uh, psychosocial occurrences, I situate blackness in the middle of my evaluation. I centralize blackness in every single evaluation. There is no point in time where I will centralize whiteness or any other cultural, uh, any other cultural epicenter in an evaluation of blackness, because as an Afrocentric practitioner, I recognize that that is a mismatch and that cultural misalignment will then produce misaligned data or misaligned understandings of blackness. If you do not align blackness with blackness, then you will have a mismatched orientation and thus mismatched data. That's just the bottom line. That's one. Two, <sighs> mental health practitioner, right? So I exist not only in the space of life coaching, but therapy. Those things are self-explanatory. I'm somebody who talked to black people about black things in a black way. Real simple, right? I have conversations with people about the things that they are experiencing and I help them process through what it is and how it is that they are experiencing it. I tell my clients all the time, listen, I'm just a brother who's been taught how to talk this talk in a way that can help you understand how to walk your walk. And it's not nothing real complicated. I've just been taught how to put pretty words together in such a way where it helps you process what it is you're thinking and feeling, right? So that's mental health and wellness financial literacy. So when I was getting my master's in community psychology with the focus in Afrocentric theory, right? Community psychology essentially means how it is that the community engages in engages with one another in an, in an ecological way, right? So in black communities, we tend to have this relationship with finance and financial literacy that is not necessarily the healthiest. The reason being is not necessarily everything that has to do with us, but we can take accountability in particular spaces in order to grow the skill because financial capability and financial literacy do not have a statistically significant correlation. In other words, you do not have to be rich in order to learn about money. In fact, there are a number of rich people who don't know shit about money, but how to spend it, right? They don't really know why they're doing what it is that they're doing. They're just following a blueprint that somebody has given them. 
which is the reason why when they have children and their children get the fucking through their money, they don't understand why their children are fucking through their money. The children are fucking through their money. The children are fucking through your money because they watched you utilize your money to <laughs> overcome or compensate for things. Say that. And because that child did not have the ability to translate that cognitively, they saw that they could spend money in order to pacify themselves. That's the reason why they're spending money like that. So in the African-American community, we have cash flow and cash uh, and cash acquiring issues, right? Or cash resource issues. The reason being is because of racial stipulations that exist around access to this liquid equity, right? So what we as black people have to do is we have to strategize around these obstacles in so much that we retain the money that we earn because we recognize that we are not we are not gaining full dollars and we need to be much more we need to be much more how can i say much more strategic with how it is that we invest our dollars right so we're looking for things that if we have if we have the excess funds looking at high risk high reward things isn't the worst thing to do especially if you have not a lot of liabilities because it allows for you to once again shoot for the moon there's nothing wrong with that but a lot of black people operate from money scripts that have scarcity in mind or they have families that they need to contribute to this financial ecosystem of this family but because there are multiple people within the ecosystem that don't have these financially literate behaviors already understood you begin to hemorrhage funds the financial literacy because it's specifically because I specifically look at it from the perspective of Black people, once again, Afrocentric, I begin to understand not only just the behavioral patterns, but the implications that racism has on our ability to even acquire these finances that we are attempting to maintain. For example, hmm, people ask about reparations, 40 acres in a mule, this, that, and the third. I developed an entire timeline where I figured out where most of this money went and where most of this money is going now. One great example is the Homestead Act. The Homestead Act was utilized, I want to say, after the Civil War, if I'm not mistaken, in order to assist the South in reconstructing their reconstructing the entire South. Right. Because what they wanted to make sure is that they wanted to make sure that the economy was restabilized because they no longer had the slave. Uh, they no longer had the slave trade to extract this profit from the economy so they had to rebuild the entire south where did that money come from that money came from the 40 acres in the mule that was supposed to be given to the returned soldiers from the civil war the free slaves that didn't happen what happened instead was that they installed ah sharecropper um the share the sharecropper acts and the sharecropper acts essentially was it it, it allowed for the previous slave owners to essentially turn their plantations into land shark plantations or into loan shark plantations. They would loan out equipment for the sharecroppers, i.e. the free slaves, to utilize this these equipments or this equipment in order to till the land so that they can make money. But because the equipment was rented out at such a high cost, the person could barely work their way off the land. So it was indentured servitude that was specifically crafted for these slaves to no longer be able to leave this plantation once again around that system they developed what was called vagrancy laws right 
So the vagrancy laws essentially stipulated that if you didn't have a job, meaning if you did not want to work in this forced labor system, you would be arrested and forced to do labor anyway. Right. So this is where the pennies on the dollar concept of paying black people came from. So you have to understand this started in the 1800s, bro. This was after slavery. And this is this is what people this is what people talk about when they say, oh, well, slavery ended such a long time ago. Yes. But directly after slavery was the Jim Crow implementations that still sucked money out of the black communities. By the way, the Homestead Act to this day, to this day. Present day, I want to say one either one point nine or nine point one million current or 19 million white families is one of those three numbers million white families currently benefit benefit from directly benefit from these funds that were reassigned in the homestead act from these free slaves to these white homeowners and these white landowners today that's one example right so the one thing that it's funny, I was having this conversation about reparations. I'm over here switching my mic out. One of my, my mics started shorting out a tad bit. Um, one of these um, conversations I was actually having the other day when we were talking about reparations. First off, anybody that thinks slavery ended, it didn't really end, it just mutated into something differently. You know what I'm saying? Um, <laughs> but when we were talking about reparations the other day, I don't think people recognize how deep this runs. Like reparations did happen, but slave masters and people that, you know, bought our people were quicker to give reparations. There were reparations on ships. Um, I don't, do you know who Lloyd's, I think it's Lords of London, if I'm not mistaken. It's a UK insurance company. Are you familiar I've with heard them? Of it. I've heard of it, but I think the parallel that you're about to make is similar to Bank of America. Um, but I know this in particular, um, Lords of London, they're the same people that insured like the slave ships and they recently insured, they actually insured, um, Patrick Mahomes, his body. Um, he just recently, it was like two years ago, he signed a half a billion dollar contract. You know what I'm saying? So basically if he gets hurt, right. If he gets hurt and he's not able to fulfill his athletic contract, you know what I'm saying? Teams still get paid. They like, look, look, look. Y'all still got paid, but we got you covered. You know what I'm saying? And I just think it's, I think it's like, one, I don't really like watching football, obviously for, um, you know, for Kaepernick's reasons, but something about black men bashing each other in the head, getting CTE and not being taken care of um, while fighting out of violent neighborhoods to entertain white folks. Not my cup of tea. That's just me personally. Um, but I always find it to be interesting that you will see the solution um, to our issue, to, I would say like our plight that are utilized to pacify and I would say assist our oppressors, but we don't see that effort obviously falling in on um, that ball coming in our corner. Um, we already know the obvious answer. I'm curious to hear you um, on your take. Why do you think that is simply not happening for us? What isn't happening for us exactly? If we're talking about, well, first off, I think it's kind of interesting and a bit egocentric when we're talking about like, not for us, I'm talking about when we're talking about the subject of reparations, it's the equivalency of like a kid getting in trouble, parents finding out about it, and then the kid somehow picking their punishment 
that's how I feel about white people talking about reparations to us. It's like, I don't think you guys get to pick a number personally. I'm good. I think y'all need to just sit down in the corner, let us dilly that up, and then we'll go with that. Um, why do you think that is something that is not only not happening? I mean, I don't think we're really, I don't think it's really logical to sit there and wait for our oppressors or the system that supplies our oppressors to do right by us. And what are things that we could do as a people, as you just said, taking our money, um, funding these different camps and, you know, supporting our people? What are things that we could do to your best ability? You know, you can speak anybody else's takes on this, but if you want to take your own, oh man, he got another J. He's about to, he's about to, he's about to, he's about to be back with us, folks. Um, what, <laughs> what um, insight or would you say like thoughts that you could have that you could, if you had to like nurture and cultivate like reparations, what it could look like for us, obviously we're not getting assistance from the system. Um, what th could that look like for us and what is, I would say, obtainable, you know what I'm saying? Couple things. First thing for me is this. We, I don't believe in asking an oppressor for a handout. It doesn't make any sense. The reason yes. why reparations is not happening is simply because white people do not value black people to that degree. It's not rocket science. Some people act like it. Some people act like it is, but really, it's just like they don't value black until black is valued to them. Brother, let me ask you a question. Let me ask you a question. If you go on a store, right, and you see the price of something, right. If you recognize that what it is that you see the price on or the object that you see this price on, right? If you recognize the value of this object in your ecosystem, will you not pay the price for that object? Well, I don't really like going to the store. Are we talking about like a thrift or are we talking like a department store? Which one are we talking about? It doesn't about? matter. It doesn't matter. A store, period. Any type of store, whether it be in it, whether it be e-commerce. Once, if you are going to purchase something, and you see the price of the item that you are going to purchase, if you recognize the value of this item in your ecosystem, are you not going to purchase this item? I would say I would. So, for example, if you need a fan and you go to the store to get a fan, and you're looking for a particular fan. And you see that fan, you see the price of that fan. Are you gonna buy that fan? Why wouldn't I? Or are you going to consistently write letters back and forth to corporate about the price of the fan so that you can continue to understand or elaborate on how you can continue to use this fan for free? I think another conversation would also have to be how come there aren't more fans available and who's making the fans? The fans aren't available because the fans are a premium. The fans are a luxury. Say that. Right? So once mm -hmm. again, the price of blackness, if you really if you really want to keep it a bean, the price of blackness, the price to pay for the culture of blackness will bankrupt the United States of America because they would have to continue paying the tax on utilizing that culture because our culture by itself drives the largest part of the GDP of the United States. Say that. So this is what happens when you get a second J. You just get you just you lean over to the left. I think you're on your left. 
I'm thinking that's your left shoulder. You lean over to the left and you just say something smooth like that. You tap into Uncle Snoop mode. Is that what's happening right now? <laughs> <laughs> oh shit, no, brother. That's that's just what it is. Like me being hot don't change the fact. Oh no, nah, bro. No, nah, look, man. I, I already told you. Get comfortable. Get lifted. You know. Um. You know. Ride with me through this. I think that one thing that is never discussed is like we could talk about the disparity and our plight is so much but also recognizing the power there obviously there wouldn't be something special about us if there weren't so many handicaps against us goodbye to super smash brothers for a second if they know your man's is nice with the controller you know what i'm saying and you put say my man right here i don't know if most people use sonic i don't know i will tend to use Ike, and that's beside the point. If I know y'all know I'm about to give y'all that work, you know what I'm saying? If y'all know I'm about to give y'all that work with my man right here, you are going to put every obstacle, handicap, everything against me, the damage control that my man could take will be astronomical and will set me back lives and lives and lives and lives back. Don't matter how many times I bring up a new life, it's still going to be a handicap against my mans. You know what I'm saying? Super Smash Brothers, we'll talk about lives, we'll talk about generations. If they already know that we're going to be the most difficult opposition, then they're going to make the opposition that the opposition goes through that much more difficult because they know how potent our power is. I think what we do need to step away from in some sense is... I don't like to I don't like to say that we don't have anything to cry about because that would be ignorant in some sense. I mean, like it's Baltimore. I'm in Baltimore right now. Pretty sure if I put a hoodie up, I'm six foot three. Um, it's on and popping in certain areas. You know what I'm saying? I do believe that we do have to recognize to some degree the greatness in us, and that is what to some sense, and you probably remember me saying this on the last time we shared a space of what true excellence is. Um Curious to hear that thought song. What's wrong with Sonic? What was wrong with my Sonic analogy? I felt like Sonic was a good analogy. I didn't say I didn't say the Sonic analogy was not you was talking about my homegirl in the comment section. She ain't like oh, Sonic. Yeah, what was yeah. wrong with Sonic? No, I mean, no, like no, 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 no. <laughs> I'm gonna take your analogy a step further, right? Here's the thing. Break it down for me, dog. If we play in Super Smash Brothers, and I know that you're using Sonic, it's not just an obstacle. Right, that's too general. I'm creating obstacles that are specifically crafted for Sonic. For example, if I'm playing against you and you're using Sonic, first of all, I'm gonna get a motherfucker who's gonna be hard as hell to knock off the board because Sonic bounces a lot. Sonic is a fast character who uses a lot of power moves that build up off of bounces, right? It's a one, two, smack, right? That last smack is that power smack. That's the reason why it charges every time you bounce. So I'm gonna pick somebody like Donkey Kong or King DDD that you're not gonna be able to just knock off the jump, right? Donkey Kong, King DDD. If I really want to get ugly, I'm gonna choose Ganondorf because Ganondorf is Captain Falcon, but just heavier, right? That's one of the two. That's one. That's one of the two, right? Can that we agree that Ike is on that same energy though? Ike is, but that's the reason why when you said I use Ike, I'm like, oh, you one of them niggas because Ike is like Ike is OP because he fast and he can swing that sword real quick. I'm he's like, like but he's got like, he's not really fast. He's just heavy. Yes, he is, bro. And when I say he's fast, he's fast in such a way where like, so, yeah, have you played Soul Calibur? Not in a long time, dog. Probably. Okay. 
I'm dating myself a little bit. I'm, I'm trying to take a guess how old you are. I know black don't crack and you drink water and mind your business. So I'm not going to guess your age. I think like 2006, 2007, last time I played Soul Calibur, dog. 2006, 2000. Okay, we still in the same camp, brother, because I played Soul Calibur. Like, I, I, I like I like the dibble and dabble and fighting games, you feel me? But let's, let's talk about it from that perspective. The difference between Nightmare and I think his name is Siegfried, right? Siegfried is the version of Nightmare without the without the like the Soul Calibur core, right? Siegfried is much faster than Nightmare, but Nightmare's hits take off way more damage, right? Ike is like, mm, who can I compare to Ike and Super Smash Bros.? Give me another sword user. Ike, Link. Um, hmm. Because the rest Roy? of the sword, the, huh? How about Roy? Thank you, Roy. Yes. Roy, a map, Roy is like, Ike is like Roy, but faster. And it's annoying because Roy is OP too. Like the Fire Emblem characters off top are OP. They either real fucking fast or real fucking strong. And I don't like them niggas. That's one. Two, Roy, Roy is like, once you get hit by Roy, you, you, you looking at like at least a 30 ball right there. You get hit, you get hit by Roy too many times, you going off the board. It's a done deal. Ike is like, if you get hit by Ike, you're looking at a nice, like, 15 jump. But if you get hit too many times with Ike charge-ups, you're going off the board, too. And Ike charge-ups are, Ike charge-ups are, are dashes. And that's what I mean when I say he's fast. His charge-ups are like, bro, once he charge up and go across the board, if you in that line of fire, you get knocked off the board. It's a done deal. Right? So, once again, crafting those obstacles to your once again your opposition with black people specifically what people tend to understate is that it isn't just racism right it's not just oh idol racism no the racism that you experience as another person of color is a byproduct of the racism that was designed specifically for us y'all are experiencing the 2.0 the 3.0 the 4.0 we have the original Every iteration of racism begins and ends with black people. We are the blueprint. We are the archetype. Ergo, you cannot, once again, you cannot examine racism anthropologically in the United States accurately without, without looking at how it is that it affects black people currently. So when we are talking about reparations, that is the reason why I said the the cost of reparations would truly bankrupt the United States of America because they would have to continue as long as we are able to statistically prove that racism is impacting black people, there, there would exist a tax. And that tax would exist for generations. And I think like when you acknowledge, I think when you are acknowledging like deconstructing and not reconstructing i mean deconstructing like just getting rid of the whole system is you have to recognize who it affects to the lowest tier you know what i'm saying biblically speaking you know i i, I said at the beginning of this podcast you know i'm a christian activist. one of the things that the bible says is if you really are a person for justice you're going to fight for the least of these you know what i'm saying and it'd be like it's one thing to say i care about it's one thing to say I care about justice for all, but I don't acknowledge the plight and the turbulence that a black woman goes through. It's one thing to say that I care about um, 
I care about the plight and I care about the plight and justice of the least of these, but I don't acknowledge those that have disabilities, um, mental mental illnesses or everything involved. If you're not willing to go to the bottom of the tier or the totem pole in the societal structure of things, how can you really be a people of justice when in what ends up happening in a lot of these activism spaces is that we end up holding the door open <laughs> in a lot of ways. <laughs> we end up holding the door open for everybody else to get their justice, but then they slam us out on the way um, on the way in to get their justice. And I think sometimes, as you just said, you can't even acknowledge your own persecution without acknowledging who's at the bottom. You know what I'm saying? Um, unfortunately, that has been us, but we are often a lot of times the least of these or the least thought about when it comes to justice or reparations in a sense. 100%, 100%. And that's the thing because The conversation about reparations, for me, quite honestly, is just it's it's because I'm once again I'm not I'm not fixated on the idea of asking my oppressor for a handout. For me, what I believe would be the most constructive is to quite simply just identify the obstacles and remove them. Just remove the obstacles, right? Quite literally, make a conscious effort to remove the obstacles. I don't want you to pay me. I don't want you to do nothing. Because here's the thing. Black people, here is what people really do not understand. When we when we say black people are magical, we do not mean that by mistake. We do not mean that in 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 illustration or in exaggeration. No, we quite literally are magical. So the study of alchemy or the science of alchemy is essentially combining elemental things in order to create a new reality or a new substance. If you think about how it is that hip hop is or behaves, it is quite literally the construction of or the creation of resources or the development of resources simply through speaking or arranging sounds. That is what hip hop is, right? The term hip hop means to move in knowledge. I utilize my knowledgeable movements in order to bring resources to me. It is an alchemic series of behaviors. It is a ritualistic series of behaviors if you wanna be even more specific, right? So when we understand it from this perspective, when we look at it from this space, people see these things and they're, they're awestruck and at the same time they're terrified because if you remove all the obstacles that black people have from black people, <laughs> black people are gonna take everything over, everything. And it's not gonna take long. Sorry about that. I was over here. Uh, first off, can I just say thank you for your patience and you are also you are sharing this space with me. You are able to um, go on and though I didn't even give you any notes, I feel like we were working spiritually on this. I had to switch my mic out. So if it sounded like I was talking to you through like a microwave um, with like tin foil in that mug back when the old Taco Bell days and it would sound scratchy a little bit. I had to switch my AKG out, but it's all right. We got an eye track solo in the building. You know what I'm saying? Everybody do me a favor. Um, head over to that link in my description. Support black business so I can get a new microphone. That'd be great. You know what I'm saying? Let's support one another so we don't end up sounding like T-Pain talking through like a LG chocolate. And I do have my LG chocolate um, still to this day. I, I'm not kidding, brother. I, I'll, I'll, 
once we get back into the um <laughs> the heaviness of this conversation, I will definitely show you, dog. I'm not even kidding. Um, what what you about to get on me for? See, I don't like that. I don't see that. I don't like that judgment finger I'm getting over here. I don't appreciate it. Um, <laughs> you a wild boy. You said I still got the LG chocolate. I'm like the chocolate. Yes, yo. I I'm not, bro. Hold on, real quick. You you think I'm capping? One second. This man finna go unwrap the chocolate boy. I'm crying. This man really went on a mission to go find this cellular device that was created in the early 2000s. Wow. Wow. <laughs> That's how my audio was sounding for a second. You know what I'm saying? Not good. Not good. You know what I'm saying? They tried to kill the iPhone with this, remember? That's hilarious. It worked out well. You know what I'm saying? It worked out amazingly. Huh? I said it worked out amazingly. We all are sitting and looking at our our chocolate 12s right now. It's great. Absolutely. You know what I'm saying? And like they even tried it with like the little like navigation wheel. You know what I'm saying? They tried. They were like, oh, this is, they said, they were like, oh, Steve Jobs, this is going to be busting. You know what I'm saying? We're going to do this. We're going to do this to him. Um, <laughs> that is hilarious. Um, but yeah, man, that's um, I always, I think that, um, I think that's always something that does need to be discussed is I don't know how to describe it. I just don't know what it is about like going to the one that afflicted us with the wounds with the ones that are going to heal and be allies to our ailment. You know what I'm saying? Thank you. But it doesn't make sense to me. It does not. And the reason being is because you're you you are quite literally externalizing your healing to the same person that caused you pain. And that person then gets to place value on your healing that you feel is reciprocal to the healing that you want to do. So in other words, you are looking for this person to give you permission to do the work that you want to do in order to heal yourself. I... While simultaneously working for the facility that is funding their pockets and how they fund your pockets is to your ailments. I don't know, bro. I don't. I don't know, bro. I, th- now, this isn't now before everybody gets a little wild on here. That's not saying that I want to go and start exterminating people. Um, I think everybody had their purpose. You know what I'm saying? Frederick Douglass had his, and Nat Turner had his. And we're just going to leave it at that and let y'all reconcile that amongst yourselves. God bless you. Selah. Anyway, um, <laughs> yes, I think I think leaving that just right there, I think that's what I'm saying. Uh, I'm a man of peace. I'm also a man with the two piece for in case it's necessary. I love Jesus, but I'm far from a pacifist. See what I'm saying? Um, I think another thing I would love to discuss with you, um, and we talked about this offline a little bit while you came on screen and I texted you about this. Um, as you know, as black men in the society, you know, I often see this and I appreciate this about your takes about this on your content when we talk about misogyny and we talk about how damaging it is to not obviously you know it's a system a machine that was built to the brutalization of women especially black women how we don't recognize that misogyny also damages us as men as well um we talked about how you know how especially commercially it's sensationalized in a lot of ways that 
black men's mental health is often used for clickbait. You know what I'm saying? Um, from Kanye West, um, you know, crying about the thought of aborting his daughter, Will Smith crying at Red Table Talk meme, Michael Jordan crying at his Hall of Fame speech meme. Um, recently, I just watched this interview with this former NBA um, prospect. His name is Michael Beasley. Um, black man crying about what it's like to exist in this society while acknowledging that people have been utilizing his blackness, greatness, and his talents, his God-given talents since high school um, and broke down in tears. Um, why do you think, I mean, to speak to your own experience, you could give, a lot of people can give their own contextualized idea about like why this is a thing. Why is it not safe in many cases for black men not to be okay without it being commercialized or being used as comedy or satire purposes. Have you ever watched a video of, of lumberjacks cutting down a very large tree? Or have you ever watched a video of a of a building being demolished, a large building being demolished? Um, no, but I did watch this video of somebody removing the shell from an egg while the little film layer still holds the content of the nucleus of the I'm weird. I'll send you this. I'll send you this video, dog. I know, it was you know, I know what you're talking about, brother, but it doesn't <laughs> it doesn't align with the analogy. So peep game, right? For some people, it's very satisfying to see the fall of a giant. For a lot of people, it's very satisfying to see the weakness in blackness because we don't show it often. For a black man to be at a point of weakness shows that there is a chink in the armor of the quote-unquote stoic blackness, right? So that's one. But also, two, this is the reason why I say that's why I don't centralize whiteness in my examination of self. I don't give a fuck how you perceive it. Y'all are stupid in my mind. A lot of y'all are stupid, right? The fact that the fact that the academy could uh the fact that the academy categorized get out as a comedy, and y'all want me to take your cultural analysis of my response to your culture seriously. No. Say that. Say that. You dig what I'm saying? So the way that it is that we as black men respond to being in this environment where our emotions are trivialized the way that i would respond to that initially is to say remove this idea that we have to perform for an external entities it's not that that's not necessary we as men need to understand how to seek peace and tranquility within ourselves first before we begin understanding how to serve others, right? So if we think of Maslow's hierarchy of needs, Maslow's hierarchy of needs, as are most things in the Caucasian realm, was, let's say, borrowed from an indigenous concept of... Ooh, you about to... Ooh, I'll hold my question. Go ahead, go ahead, dog. Go ahead, go ahead. realization <laughs> of the community, right? So self-actualization, so in Maslow's hierarchy, self-actualization is at the top of the pyramid. In the indigenous actualization pyramid, self-actualization is at the bottom. It then becomes community 
it, it goes community actualization is after self-actualization. I forget what the topic is. I have to do more research. But when you actualize the self, you then give the foundation to actualize the community. A lot of black men are attempting to actualize themselves through the community instead of actualizing themselves and then bringing their actualized selves to the community. Mm. Um, one thing that I've always noticed, and we talked about this a little bit um, on the uh, old space that we shared together, it's this idea of we don't exist simply for ourselves. You know what I'm saying? So like, for instance, with the, with me talking about Michael Beasley, for instance, like one of the sad, I felt so bad for this brother. I'll have to, I'll see if I can try to find the clip on here, but this man was talking about only people I talk to, like he has no relationship with anybody. He's completely isolated. He's waiting for a call from the NBA to get a, you know, get like a 10 day contract or something. And he just sits at home or he goes to the gym and plays basketball. And they were like, well, who do you talk to? He was like my kids. And then the, the, you know, the, I would say like the curator of the space was like, why do you only talk to your kids? He said, my kids are the only people that never stole from me. Mm. Young man broke down in tears, dog. And, you know, I, I think of in a lot of ways, especially in this society, um, one thing that I've noticed when we're talking about nuance and we're talking about even just like commercialized sports and arena sports, like, yes, we see, obviously we see the pay gap within women's sports and men's sports. That sense of your worth is not your own. I don't think that is nearly discussed enough. Um, it's another sense. It goes back to what we were talking about earlier, like slavery never ended. It's incentivized slavery. You know what I'm saying? It's so dehumanizing in a lot of ways that literally your self-worth is in your net worth. Your net worth is picked by somebody else. You know what I'm saying? You have a billion dollar talent. You make M's off of while somebody reaps the B's off of and you're left feeling worthless. Mm -hmm. That damn. <laughs> that's just uh, you are a million dollar man in the multi-million dollar mansion that's full of thousand dollar things and yet you still feel empty yeah yeah you know i'm saying and i think i think a lot of that is um there was uh i'm trying to remember who wrote this before it was a lot it was um it was one rap i think it was lupe wrote something along the lines it's like you got all these you got all of these shoes, but you lack soul. You know what I'm saying? Like you got the wrong, you got the wrong, you have the wrong amount of soul that doesn't feed your soul. You know what I'm saying? And I think that a lot of times, and you spoke to this earlier when we were talking about finances, is that you try to, that we often try to fill that void to, and I don't, I, I feel like you may know where I'm going with this. We end up trying to fill that void to give and pacify that inner child within a lot of us. And a lot of us, I would, I've noticed, and even for myself, uh, me and my queen have talked about this a lot. Um, interesting being 28 years old as a black man, but having to reparent while also simultaneously finding ways to parent at the same time is talking to that inner child and acknowledging that inner child and giving that inner child what they need whilst trying to exist as an adult. And I find I find that to be very, very interesting and frustrating because in the society, 
you know, for us as black men in particular, you know, they treat us like adults at such a young age as kids. But then when you're an adult, you get treated like a kid all the time. Um, I think one of the things that I was curious about, and we touched on this very, very briefly in our last space that we shared together, is what can be done about, I would say, like creating these spaces that vulnerability and healing can happen instead of it becoming opportunities for us to capitalize, literally capitalize off of our humanity. You know what I'm saying? Uh, what can we do for fellow Black men and what message would you like to convey to um, our brothers out there that may be experiencing this anguish in a sense? We have to learn how to privatize the ritual of healing. Hold on, bro. Hold on. No, 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 no. Look, man, there's somebody. Look, I know I got some nosy neighbors. They might be listening to this. I don't know. If you could say that one more again, somebody's probably picking a wedgie, getting the getting the Q-tips. I, I just heard we're not allowed to use Q-tips. But could you say that one more again for the neighbors upstairs, sir? One more time, one more time, one more time, please. We have to learn how to privatize the ritual of healing. A lot of us attempt to perform healing for the public eye so that we can egotize or attach healing to our ego so that we can say to somebody, I am healed. I have gone through this. I am no longer a student of healing. I am a master of healing. Healing is not something that you complete. Healing is a skill set that you learn in order to continue to revitalize through particular iterations of conflict. So in order to stop engaging in this whole idea of oh i'm x y and z and to remove this fear of vulnerability we have to learn how to privatize the ritual of healing i think it's also um there's this thing i like to say it it's finding that and i'll send it to you it's finding your and i'll type this up on the screen it's finding your okay in your brokenness i think that is something I think I think that in a lot of ways, and like I'm not gonna speak for everybody, but I found that to be extremely frustrating. Is if there's one thing I would say in my existence as a black man, and I'm learning to deconstruct that and decolonize that in a lot of ways, is feeling adequate, even though there are things about me that are inadequate. Learning to be okay in my brokenness, I think, is the first step. You know what I'm saying? What are your thoughts on that? Mm, I think that's healthy, right? Deconstructing performance-based adequacy, right? And essentially what I mean by that is removing this idea that you have to perform something in order to be somebody. And it's not necessarily laziness as much as it is attaching this idea of excellence to work or attaching this idea of function to masculinity right the idea to perform the idea to go get the idea to or the the ability to execute right it's not necessarily any of these things that define your ability to be a man but more so your ability to engage in how can i say your ability to manage and understand your, and when I say your, your personal application of your knowledge to a situation in order to seek a relevant outcome. 
And I think a lot of that is also too, um, a lot of us, <laughs> we tend to equate our own liberation and say like, this will work for you. Like for some people, for some people, it might just be, I actually just needed to change up my appearance, you know, change how I feel, look on the outside to change how I feel inward. You know what I'm saying? Um, but it doesn't, you know, it doesn't work the same for everybody. Um, I think a lot of that is just taking in some sense of self-examination. Um, little story about myself. I um, I shared this publicly on my podcast before. Um, I was in a relationship um, that I got cheated on and it went bad for me. You know what I'm saying? Lost out on a $22,000 car, lost a good job in which I made aviation parts, um, working alongside the military. My mental health was trash, was not showering, eating a bag of Doritos, like a little, little, little bag of Doritos was too much for me. I ended up in the hospital and I started going to therapy 2019. It was the gift I gave myself on January 24th, which is actually my birthday. And it was literally looking at the landscape and recognizing like, okay, pardon my French, this shit is bad. <laughs> You know what I'm saying? Like, just looking at everything and being like, bro, this is bad, dog. You know what I'm saying? And I think it's looking at taking away the glitz, the glamour. You know, um, it's funny how Stevie Wonder made a song, All That Glitters Ain't Gold. Just removing everything away that's shiny, purposeful in a lot of ways, and just looking at your nothingness and still feeling whole. And and for me, in a lot of ways, I felt like I had this big, huge safe, but I ain't had no worth in that, dog. You know what I'm saying? Like, I, I don't know how many times I've, I've talked to people and they have, like, all these different things and they have these different accolades, these degrees, um, more degrees than a thermometer, but they feel empty. You know what I'm saying? It's that sense of vanity. Um, I think it's the book of Ecclesiastes in the Bible that Solomon speaks of that I feel like a lot of men fall into the trap into. Um, but I think it takes that. What would, I mean, obviously I'm a huge advocate for, you know, expressing to people to, I would say, invest in themselves and learn some sense of self-intelligence or emotional intelligence. What would, what advice would you give to somebody that is probably at that crossroads of like, do I deviate from what I've always known or do I just, work at what I'm used to working at until it's, you know, until it actually falls apart. Um, what advice would you give to somebody that is at that crossroads? Extend grace to yourself and exercise patience. Extend grace to yourself and exercise patience. And this is the reason why I would say that. I just... I had a conversation with a lady, a woman yesterday, and she said to me, because of where it is that you are, you need to do less than what it is that you believe that you need to do. And if you continue to force it, it's going to take you longer to get there. When she said that to me, I became physically uncomfortable. And the reason being is because I knew exactly what she meant. Mm. Brother, there are some things that, that just come in time and experience. There's nothing we can do about that. It comes in time and experience, right? So to attempt to rush a process that does not need to be rushed or to attempt to force something, and when I say force, it can go like, it's almost like 
Slow down. Extend grace. Exercise patience. There's um there's a quote from this um from this this album that came out in, um on Juneteenth last year. Is this uh yeah you know who Lecrae is Christian rapper? You know what I'm saying? Had that white man in his face talking about let's call white privilege white blessings. That nonsense that happened in 2020. Um, <laughs> I'll have to send you the clip. It's wild, but he did he did this um this like spoken word on this album last year, and he it was on the the significance of Juneteenth. And one of the things he said was, you could be removed from slavery in an instance in your lifetime, but it can take a lifetime to have the slavery removed out of you. And I think that's where a lot of people, especially for me, like I would say for me in my journey of emotional intelligence um, as a black man in the society, I recognize like, bruh, it's, I've been like this for 25 years. It might take 25 times two to even get this removed out of me in which I endured. Um, I think patience and grace for yourself. And also like, I think another thing is, is just like recognizing like, bro, you got some ugly shit about you. There's some toxic stuff that you're going to have to, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like that. I think it's also not being defensive against yourself and having a good circle of people around you or, you know, as my grandmama used to say, um, no yup yups around. You know what I'm saying? Um, a yup yup is somebody that you cannot afford to have in your circle. You know what I'm saying? Um, I think having a good clique of people and a good circle around you um, that are with love, but with love comes correction. And sometimes people need a slap in the back of the head. I don't know. Um, to call out some of these toxic traits that you need to um, be checked. And there might be, you know, there could be a new sense of growth in your development um, for your own liberation. Even if your liberation is from yourself, I think that grace can definitely be exercised there for sure. For sure. Most definitely, brother. I agree 100%. Right? 100%. It's this... Hmm. It's recognizing that you have the ability to manage your own expectations of self <clears throat> not only that but also recognizing that the way in which you learn things and the pace in which you learn things can't always be changed right it can't always be sped up or slowed down my mother i'm 28 my mother will be 59 may 26th she said to me, hold on, hold, on, hold on, hold on, you can't slide past that. You said 28, dog. Yeah. Good man, drink, keep drinking water and minding your business, black man. Look at you over yeah. there. I just needed to say that real quick. Beautiful over there. I just needed to, you know what I'm saying? I'm going to give you your flowers real quick. I, I'm Actually, I'm not sorry interrupting you. I, I believe in giving people their compliments. Go ahead, black man. Go ahead. Continue. Oh, continue. Good, brother. Yeah. <laughs> I'm 20, I'm 28 years old. I'll be 29 in June, June 8th, right? So my mother will be 59 May 26th. And she told me when I was 22, so she was 52. She said, William, I'm 52 years old and I learn something new about myself every day. At this point, there's a 30-year gap between my mother and myself, right? Which is the reason why when we were talking about the Will Smith situation, it's like, yo, 
You have to understand that 30 years is a significantly long period of time. A significantly long period of time. So to put that into perspective, to recognize that there are some things that I'm just not going to learn until they come to pass. It helps me to understand, like, I need to understand what it is that I want to understand for myself so that I can situate my own peace and my own serenity in the center of my understanding for self. And it does take a while to get there. It does. And it doesn't even mean that just because you situate that in your center, it means you're always going to be centered. It's just recognizing that situating that is your center, situating that is your center, can assist you in, once again, making sure that you're extending yourself to grace in that patience. And I think it's also with that, it's... um. I keep going back to this term, man. I gotta send you this interview with this um this sister. Um, I met it was this um uh, Colombian woman I met through TikTok. Um, we had a great conversation. I think it's also that it's that reparenting thing, man. I kid that's just been like a theme for me over the last year. It's that reparenting yourself and mm-hmm. giving that child what it needed by not exactly becoming who you did not have in spite of, but becoming what you've longed for knowing that that inner child needed that and you can end up becoming the very thing that you felt like you that child lacked um in your development i think it's all i i don't know what it is man something about that term reparenting has always been it's like a daily thing i've had to um remind myself for sure for sure yeah man most definitely because you want to make sure that you're so when people say being the adult that you needed when you were younger That's essentially what reparenting is. It's giving yourself or reconstructing yourself or reconstructing the parts of yourself that are negative internal narratives from from a space of understanding and forgiving from and through your growth and understanding. I think, um, yeah, man, for sure, for sure. Um, One of the things that I wanted to have you dive into because I remember you said that you, I think you specialized in this. Um, as I've mentioned earlier during this um, conversation and in our DMs to each other, um, I have a bipolar two disorder or a hypomania, right? Um, one of the things that I go through, I call it intense. In some cases it's necessary. Um, one of the forms of therapy I go through is DBT or make sure I got this right. I keep botching it. Dialectical behavioral therapy. Um, yes, you sir. yourself. Hmm? I got yes, it right. Sir. I said it right. Yes. Awesome. See, Alicia, I got it right this time. You know what I'm saying? She keeps saying that my, my therapist says I said it wrong all the time, but that's beside the point. I think she's watching. I don't know. Um, to be continued. Um, but one of the things that I've come to learn is it's this heightened sense of like consciousness and ways that you speak over yourself. Um, when it comes to nurturing your, your mental health, um, what made you want to one, I didn't know that you could necessarily, well, I mean, that might just be my ignorance and not really understanding mental health, but like, what made you want to get into that field and what have you found, I guess, like the methods of DBT to be useful in your own existence? Um, like, do you use any of those methods for yourself possibly? Uh, Yeah. So here's the thing. 
the reason why I really rock with DBT is because DBT is so DBT is essentially a specialization of CBT that was curated by Marsha Linehan, and essentially it's looking at. So the way that I can the way that I conceptualize it is CBT with a with a twist of mindfulness, right? We're looking at how it is that two things can exist simultaneously at the same time within the same environment. Both of these things be true, and we can find a medium between these two realities that is comfortable enough for us to continue to process an emotion or process a reality, right? So for example, one of the things that I usually tell my clients or one of the tools that I usually have my clients go through or look through is the tool of radical acceptance, right? And if you've learned about DBT, then you know radical acceptance is one of the foundational tools of DBT, which is essentially you understanding that a situation is what it is and not trying to change it for something that you want it to be or something that's more comfortable. You're just acknowledging the situation for what it is, right? And acknowledging the situation can be both internal and external, radically accepting your emotions and radically accepting the situation as it's unfolding in front of you, right? It gives you a stable foundation upon which to place your emotional processing, right? So then after you have the radical acceptance, you then have the emotional regulation skills, the dear man's, right? The things of that nature where you are utilizing these grounding skills or you're utilizing these mindfulness-based skills or these mindfulness-based stress reduction skills in order to get yourself quite literally away from this fight or flight response that we usually have when we are faced with a triggering situation. So removing yourself from this hype allows you to re-engage in that uh, prefrontal cortex and that frontal lobe that exists that assists us with executive functions, right? So we're moving away from our lower tier brain to our higher tier brain functions while we're utilizing these mindfulness-based stress reduction. Uh, well, they're mindfulness-based, but I use mindfulness-based stress reduction because it's like it gives it a little razzle dazzle. You dig what I'm saying? So utilizing skills where you're coupling a breathing technique with an affirmation and recognizing that this situation is what it is and I can continue to use these skills to process through the situation. And although this situation may be true, this reality is also true and I can utilize these two realities or the reality between these two realities in order to continue to process my emotions. So the reason why I began utilizing DBT is because I am the type of person who exists in nuances. I think in nuances, right? I believe that a multitude of things can exist at the same time. The reason being is because we have examples of that in our immediate surroundings. As I'm looking in my room, I can see that multiple entities are existing quite literally at the same time. That's the way that I think. So when I, at first, when I uh, began studying therapy, I recognized that I was going to be an eclectic style therapist. I am somebody who recognizes the multiple ways in which particular skills can be applied to somebody so that they can learn how to process through emotional. Not exactly I, like I, that. I think a lot of people have this, they're right and wrong. It's not exactly rationalizing with somebody's stance and motivation behind said actions, but understanding what got them to that point and acknowledging exactly what exactly it is, the effect that it has on other people. But in a lot of ways, it's like, I don't know how to describe it. It's like, it's making less room for demonization 
um, humanizing in in some sense, but also acknowledging, hey, bro, spade is a spade, and the suck is still a suck. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> um, yeah. I, I don't know if I could have made that a little more clearer um, for anybody else because you, you you're definitely smarter than I am. You definitely got a lot more degrees than a thermometer on this screen, but. You know what I'm saying? But I'm picking up what you're putting down for sure. Um, One of the things that I think, and I, I needed to stop you here for a second, because I don't think a lot of people recognize, especially when it comes to DBT, how important this is. Affirmation. Yes. Why is that? Like, I've noticed that for a lot of people when we're talking about affirmation, that's so glossed over. You know yes. what I'm saying? Can we please, quit, please do me a favor, brother. Can you... Give, give, give me some give me some insight, dog. Give me some insight on why affirmation is essential. You know what I'm saying? All right, so boom. A lot of people talk about affirmation, and you're absolutely correct. We do gloss over the importance of affirmation and what affirmation looks like. So remember when I said DBT is like CBT with a little with a little mindfulness attached to it. In cognitive behavioral therapy, we have this um, we have a skill set called um, challenging internal negative narratives, right? So basically challenging negative internal narratives. I'm sorry, I said that backwards. When you are challenging a negative internal narrative, you are utilizing either a reality-based function or coming to the reality. So it could be, it, you can utilize radical acceptance in this space as well, or you can utilize, you know, um, a reality check in order to bring yourself to the realization like, yo, what it is that I'm thinking inside of my mind is not rational. It is not based in reality. It is based in an emotional in, in an emotional discord or more accurately to the lingo of the um more accurately to the lingo of the jaw a cognitive distortion and i can unlearn this cognitive distortion utilizing a specific a specific challenge to this specific thought that is where affirmations are important it is quite literally the challenge to the negative internal narrative you are constructing you are constructing a very real challenge to what it is that you tell yourself is your reality and you challenge it with a more with a with a what's what I'm looking for with a just as real reality. And that's what an affirmation is. An affirmation means to affirm. To affirm the, the root word of affirmation is affirm. To affirm means to make real or to make to make um tangible. To validate. Some, some people in my experience i've learned that given i would say like given some circumstances if you're in these like fight or flight um situations or dealing with the devastation of an event that may have afflicted you psychologically um and physically affirmation almost i don't want to say almost it's either it is or it isn't it's my therapist always says what is almost it's like almost pregnant it either is or it isn't they are or they aren't pregnant um <laughs> affirmation in some senses need to be i don't know how to describe it it's like um i mean my therapist didn't put it this way but like violently in some in some senses given like i would say like how desperate um somebody could be like how I want. I don't know how to. I don't know how. I don't know how I came to the word violently because sometimes violence can be very demonized in some sense. But I feel like it also speaks to the gravity of like where somebody could be emotionally and mentally. Where I don't know, like love got to be an action word in a lot of ways. 
um, as far as affirming somebody. Um, why do you think that that's like a lost trade? I would say if we're talking about in these spaces where, because a lot of people, I mean, well, I know for my own, um, I guess for my own insecurities and the way I'm trying to get out of it is, oh, I'm not trying to look like I'm seeking attention. I'm not trying to look thirsty for, for yeses and stuff like that. Why do you think that it is indeed a lost trade in society nowadays? What's a lost trade specifically? I would say not only like a person that like needs affirmation and being a people that is willing to give and distribute affirmation to their fellow existing humans. Mm. Why does affirmation have to be externalized? I don't know. Hmm. Hmm. I don't know. That's a good question. I'm gonna have to take that. I'm gonna have to take that one into my session. I'm gonna let you build off of that one if you wanted to go ahead. I'm gonna <laughs> just the question. Why does affirmation have to be externalized? Hmm. I think. I don't want you to answer the question, bro. You know what? This is homework for me, huh? I'm giving homework right now? No? Okay. I'm not even giving you I just want you to think about it. Why does affirmation have to be externalized? Right? Because here's the thing. A lot of us believe in the perform. Once again, going back to this idea of performing healing, affirmation is something that we affirmation is something that we seek or affirmation is something that we are looking for affirmation is something that you know we need to be affirmed or we say these affirmations because this is what we are seeking no we say these affirmations because these are realities that we have understood about ourselves that challenge these particular internal narratives that may not be as real as we once believed so once again why does an affirmation have to be externalized? Mm -mm -mm. Yeah, I'm, I'm letting you know right now. I like love you and hate you at the same time. I'm definitely going to be thinking about this at three o'clock in the morning when I'm taking the poop and listening to R&B music. Um, <laughs> if I have found you there, if I have found you in quite literally your most vulnerable moment, then I've done my job. Cause that means you can't hide from what it is that I asked you. I'm gonna ask you, I'm gonna ask you a question in such a way where you're gonna have to think about it. And that's okay. That's okay. 